0: Well, good evening and welcome to session seven of the recovery course, which is entitled Dig for Victory. And tonight we are looking at step four, part two of step four. And just to remind ourselves what step four says, we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. And with that, we've put a a verse from the Old Testament It's very short to the point and it says this, let's take a good look at the way we're living and reorder our lives under God and that's from a book called Lamentations in the Old Testament. One month after the outbreak of the Second World War the Ministry of Agriculture in Britain launched one of the most memorable slogans of the whole conflict, dig for victory. And from this point on, the whole of Great Britain's home front were encouraged to transform their gardens into mini-allotments for for growing food, and the end result contributing to the war effort and final victory. Confession does for our soul what digging does for the soil. Before a gardener plants seeds, he or she digs the ground, removing weeds and stones. Why? Why? because seeds grow better in prepared soil. In Africa, if you want precious water, you need to dig a well. If you want gold, diamonds or oil, you dig. And if we want life and we want it to the full, we need to dig. And this week, we're going to be digging deeper. I'd like to just quickly review where we've got up to over these last few weeks, what we've achieved so far. We've spent this last six weeks facing up to our denial and admitting that by our own willpower, we're powerless to control our addictive and compulsive behaviors. And then that, as a result, our lives have become unmanageable and have been running increasingly out of control we have also come to see that while not certifiably insane many of our actions and decisions have not been those of someone we would consider a sane person and that it's only with the power of God that we have any real hope of getting out of this mess that we've created for ourselves then two weeks ago we were encouraged to make what is a once-in-a-lifetime decision to turn our lives over to God and to submit our wills to him daily. And this involved what we call repentance, which is the turning away from our sins, which are those negative things that separate us from God and damage us and damage those around us. And then we were encouraged to submit ourselves to God's view of life rather than our own. And we then asked him to fill us with his Holy Spirit so that our lives would be supernaturally empowered and transformed. If we have completed these first three steps to the best of our ability, the result is we've got right with God. And then last week we began the next stage of the journey, which is getting right with ourselves. And we've started this by making a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves, focusing on resentments and grudges that we hold against individuals and organizations. And the purpose of this inventory is to candidly scrutinize and confess our faults to ourselves, to God, and ultimately to another person we trust. And the purpose of this step is not to make us feel bad about ourselves. Remember, we are not bad people. We've also done many good things, some of which we have been recalling in our coursework over the uh, the last week. We are made in the image of God. Over time, though, we have done some things that we now need to put right if we're to experience full healing. Jesus has forgiven us our sins, freed us from the guilt, and so let's not condemn ourselves as we work step four. That's very easy to do, to let that little voice in our heads condemn us. Don't allow that to happen. Remember, as St. Paul reminds us in a letter he wrote to the Corinthians in the New Testament, he said this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Last week, we began looking at our relationships with others, especially those against whom we're harbouring anger and resentment. This week, we're going to analyse four other aspects of our character, as well as making a moral inventory of our fears, shame and sexual conduct. And the four areas we're looking at this week are my priorities in life, is it me first or God first? Secondly, we will look at my integrity. Can I be trusted? The third one is my mind. Is it open or closed? And finally, my body. Do I respect or abuse it? So let's start with the first one. My priorities in life. Me first or God first? What are your priorities in life? Or, to put it another way, what is it that you worship? The things we worship are the things that are most important to us. Now, in the Bible, uh, it tells us that first and foremost, as it says in the Old Testament, love God, your God, with your whole heart. Love him with all that's in you. Love him with all you've got. So, in other words, God should be our chief priority. Realistically, though, he seldom is. So, who or what is the God we worship? The American pastor, Louis Giglio, said, How do you know what you worship? It's easy, he says. You simply follow the trail of your time, your affection, your money, and your allegiance. And at the end of the trail, you'll find a throne, and whatever or whoever is on that throne is what's of highest value to you. On that throne is what you worship. Someone else once said that the thing we consistently daydream about, especially when we're relaxing, is the thing that we are worshiping. So when I'm daydreaming on a long journey, what do I think about? Do I think about God? Well, if I'm honest, I rarely do. More often than not, I'm fantasizing about my favorite football team and how they will be playing so much better if I was the manager or coach. And when I'm not thinking about that, it's uh, what car or shoes or house, yacht, jewelry, holiday, computer... Or clothes would I buy if I had lots of money? All around the world there are lotteries and a lot of money is on offer. How many times have we sat for ages thinking about if I won the jackpot, if I won the lottery, what would I spend my money on? And I have this list of well, I'd buy a house in the country there, and I'd, and I'd buy a Ferrari or something, and I'd and I work through what I would spend the money on. And I don't even do the lottery, which is the madness of it. But for a period, that's the God I worship, if I had the money. <clears throat> and then when all that's over and done with, then I may start fantasizing about sex. And God comes a long way down the list. I love this quote by the Dalai Lama, who said this, man sacrifices his health in order to make money. Then he sacrifices money to recuperate his health. And then he's so anxious about the future that he does not enjoy the present. The result being that he doesn't live in the present or the future he lives as if he's never going to die and then dies never having really lived in matthew 6 jesus tells us what happens when we put god first in everything he says this steep your life in god reality god initiative god provisions don't worry about missing out you'll find All your everyday human concerns will be met. Is our ambition determined by seeking and serving God or is it fueled by a deep need to have control over our own life and the desire to have what others have? Are our minds and motives dazzled by what society around us is offering? If so, as it says in Proverbs in the Old Testament, it warns this, you're addicted to thrills. What an empty life. The pursuit of pleasure is never satisfied. Now, ambitions and pleasures are not wrong. It's a question of their priority in our lives. So it can be helpful to occasionally ask ourselves questions like this. What are my priorities in my job? What are my ambitions, my family? Secondly, who are my priorities affecting in a good way and how? And finally, who are my priorities affecting in a bad way and how? In a previous job, I had to work very long hours during the week as well as every Saturday. And on the plus side, the excellent salary paid the mortgage, It gave my family security, it allowed my wife to give up her own job in order to raise our children and be at home for them, and it also meant that uh, our two sons rarely had to go without those essentials of growing up, such as Playstations and Nintendos and the equipping of various hobbies. So that's the plus side. On the minus side, I never saw my sons play school sport, which was on a Saturday, throughout their entire school life. I rarely went to a family or a friend's wedding. And I was constantly tired and stressed, which in turn provided a ready food supply for my addictions. Because that's what our addictions feed off. Stress, anxiety, fear. In hindsight, and what a wonderful thing that is, I like to think I would probably have done things differently if I had known then what I know now. And I might have known then what I know now if I had taken the time to stop just for a few minutes and review my priorities. Secondly, my integrity. Can I be trusted Are there occasions in your past when you've been dishonest? Are there things that you've said or done, maybe decades ago, that you still feel uneasy or guilty about when you think about them? When you're in a social situation, do you ever name drop or exaggerate and embellish stories? And often we do this to make people laugh or to entertain, but underlying this is the desire actually to make ourselves look better in the storytelling. We want to look more important, maybe more courageous, maybe more intelligent and more accomplished than we actually are. Albert Einstein said, whoever is careless with the truth in small matters cannot be trusted with important matters. Then there's the question of stealing. Have you ever stolen anything? And yes, that does include paper clips, pens, and paper from work, as well as submitting that expense sheet that wasn't entirely accurate. And remember, there are no varying degrees of honesty. Either we are or we aren't. We can't be sort of moderately honest. When I first became a Christian, a new stress came into my life. At church, I would behave as I thought a Christian ought to behave, with lots of kindly smiles, loving thoughts, topped off with a large dollop of concerned actions, usually involved tilting one's head to one side as one listened politely to people who drove you around the twist. Once I was back in my place of work, I would then revert to type. And occasionally, it would elicit from a colleague the remark, and you call yourself a Christian. So do we pretend to live one way in front of friends and associates at church, or maybe here at the recovery course? Do we put on a, a mask when we come here on an evening like this? and another way at home or in our place of work? In other words, do we wear different masks because we don't have the courage and honesty for better or worse to simply be ourselves? Living the life of a hypocrite does not work. And I know, because for many years I've lived the life of a hypocrite and it creates fear, anxiety, and stress, and we all know now what those three things feed, our addiction. I would really encourage you all, for better or worse, just be yourself. Don't let anyone try and press you into a mold, and that includes the church. Don't let the church press you into a mould. Be yourselves. Thirdly, my mind, is it open or closed? In Romans 12.2, St. Paul talks about the need to renew our minds. That's something that we've been looking at over these last few weeks. He says this, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. his good, pleasing, and perfect will. If most of us are honest, we feel anxious or fearful about change because we don't know how this is going to impact our future. Look again at your step one coursework which we call pause for thoughts, where you came face to face with the things you may have said and done in order to deny that your problem is quite as bad as it's been made out to be. And even at this stage in the course, we might be thinking, what I did, it doesn't matter anymore, I've put it behind me. No, you haven't. It's buried deep within you and it's toxic. By denying the truth of our situation, we have not been living in reality, and our lives have become, quite frankly, insane. If we have any hope of leading a healthy life, our minds need to be renewed, and that means considering for a few minutes what we are actually putting into our heads. Our ears and eyes are the windows of our soul. And as Tom Lehrer once commented, life is like a sewer. What you get out of it depends on what you put into it. So think about the films, television programs, books, magazines that we read. Is the content healthy, something that builds us up? Or is it trash? Now, I'm not going to pick on any particular TV programmes, but I have certainly watched some that not only didn't add to the quality of my life, but actually left me feeling mildly disgusted that I had wasted precious time on them. And then the following week, I'd watch the next instalment. What's about pornography? And here, the statistics can be startling. Around 90%, 90% of 8- to 16-year-olds have viewed pornography online, with 87% of male college students and 31% of female college students regularly using pornography. And the figures are only marginally less for Christian men with 70% admitting to struggling with pornography in their daily lives. A 2003 survey for Today's Christian Woman's online newsletter found that 34% of their female readers intentionally access internet pornography. So it's not a, a male thing. Both sexes have found themselves beginning to become increasingly trapped by porn and it's been clearly demonstrated that heavy users are much more likely to report problems with their jobs, relationships and sex lives, and yet the general consensus in society is that pornography is normal, even a positively good thing. The experts strongly disagree, though. According to clinicians and researchers testifying before a a Senate committee in America, Internet pornography was described as the new crack cocaine, leading to addiction, misogyny, paedophilia, women getting breast implants, and men suffering from impotence. And the director of the Sexual Trauma and Psychopathology Program at the University of Pennsylvania's Center for Cognitive Therapy called porn the most concerning thing to psychological health that I know of existing today. I heard a story about a man That used to tour the oil towns of Alaska with two fighting dogs and he was earning money from the bets that the workers in those towns used to place on those dog fights. Another man travelled around with him and noticed that the owner would also bet on the fight and sometimes the owner put money on the brown dog and at other times he would bet on the white dog but whichever dog he put the money on that was the dog that always won. After a time, somewhat perplexed, the man asked the dog owner, How do you know which dog is going to win? Simple, the owner replied. The dog I feed all week is the dog that wins. So feed anger, that will win. Feed jealousy, that will win. Feed resentment, that will win. Feed a drink, drugs, porn or gambling habit and that is what will win. Feed our spiritual life, maybe by reading the Bible or some other input, even for just five minutes a day, and that will win. We neglect immersing ourselves in God's thoughts at our peril. The Indian guru, Paramahansa Yogananda, who came to recognition in the early 1900s alongside Mahatma Gandhi, said this, and I love this quote, Life has a bright side and a dark side, for the world of relativity is composed of light and shadows. If you permit your thoughts to dwell on evil, you yourself will become ugly. Look only for the good in everything, so you absorb the quality of beauty. And I'm sure we can all think of someone who was stunningly beautiful physically, but quite frankly, was an ugly person. And we can think of people who maybe were not physically attractive, but they were beautiful people. And that's what I think this encourages us to be, to be an inwardly beautiful person. In the Old Testament, it says, an intelligent person is always eager to take in more truth. Fools feed on fast food fads and fancies. And then, my body, do I respect or abuse it. If we have abused drugs, alcohol, food, sex, or of self-harmed, then we've not treated our bodies appropriately. And yet St. Paul describes our bodies as a sacred place. He says this, didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? He goes on. The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. Now, we often hear folks say, and we may have said it ourselves, that it is my right to do what I want with my body. And we think of this as freedom when actually, in reality, we are not free at all, but we're actually a slave to our own self-centred cravings. And the result is that our lives usually end up shorter than they would have been. The problem with many of the addictions we use is that they're legal, and the small voice at the back of our mind justifies their use because everyone does it, and you can't get into trouble. And that's why many of us end up swapping maybe the illegal addiction of heroin or cocaine for the legal one that around 30% of the population uses, tobacco. In 2000, the University of California came up with the following statistics. Every cigarette a person smokes reduces their life by 11 minutes goes on every year a person smokes a pack a day they shorten their life by almost two months and in another piece of research undertaken over a period of 50 years published in the British Medical Journal the pioneering epidemiologist Richard doll found that almost half of all persistent cigarette smokers were killed by their habits and a quarter died before the age of 70. His conclusion? A life of cigarette smoking will be, on average, ten years shorter than a life without it. The good news, though, is the study also found that kicking the cigarette habit had equally dramatic effects. Someone who stops smoking by the age of 30 has the same average life expectancy as a non-smoker. And someone who stops at 50 will lose four rather than 10 years of their life. So it's never too late to think about giving up. Now, I'm not picking on smokers here, because I, too, am shortening my life by being obese through compulsive eating. And so I know it's not easy. But as we continue with this step, let's try and continually remind ourselves that God says our lives are precious. There's a, a psalm written by King David which, where he talks about his body uh, and what it means to God. He wrote this, "'You shaped me first, inside, then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God, you're breathtaking.'" Body and soul, I'm marvellously made. I worship in adoration, what a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made bit by bit, how I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watch me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life, all prepared before I'd even lived one day. And that's for every single one of us here. which is an astonishing thing to realise just how intimately God knows us and more importantly loves us and is for us and is proud of us. So, as we begin to step out of our denial and into God's truth and light, we will find life. I promise you that. You will find life. So, keep going. You're doing fantastically well. You may think, oh, this is getting difficult. Just keep going. Within a few weeks, I think, you'll see the benefits of the efforts that you are making now so well done so have teas and coffees and then small groups thank you